welcome to Detroit Today on 109 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. The coronavirus pandemic has put the worst aspects of American society on display in full regalia. That includes massive racial inequities, corrosive distrust in institutions and fellow Americans, and it also includes a healthcare system that is really badly broken. Dr. Richard Besser spent 13 years at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, including serving as the CDC's acting director, leading the agency's response to the H1N1 flu pandemic. He now leads the country's largest foundation dedicated to health care, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. He says the pandemic is exposing our health insurance system for what it is, an unjust scheme that benefits the wealthy and leaves tens of millions of people exposed to inadequate and unaffordable care. He joins me now to talk about the urgent need to reevaluate our health insurance system. Dr. Besser, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. So what has the pandemic taught us about the ways our health care system is broken, in your view? You know, when when we were in the, in the period before the pandemic, for for so many people in in America, um, life was was a struggle, uh, meeting needs day to day with with what was earned. Uh, in a situation of a pandemic where every system is un, under stress, uh, we see every community being hit, but not every community being hit in the same way. What this reveals to us about our, our health insurance system um, is is really an embarrassment. You know, at the start of this pandemic, there were 28 million people in America without health insurance. Mm-hmm. And for many people with health insurance, their premiums were going up, their deductibles were, were going up. Uh, they were finding that care that they that they wanted and felt they needed was was un, uh, unaffordable. Uh, and in a situation of a pandemic where it's so incredibly important that people have access to care, uh, have access to care if they think they might be infected, um, we're seeing millions of people lacking what they what they need. And we can fix that. You know, at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, we are all in when it comes to using policy to address societal needs. And when it comes to, to health, we... we we as one of the wealthiest nations in the world, we're the only one that doesn't ensure that every person who lives here has access to high quality, comprehensive, affordable health care. Mm. So I think for a lot of people, the instant question is, 10 years ago this year, we had a robust debate about insurance and health care reform in this country. And we came up with something that was, at the time at least, thought of as pretty revolutionary, uh, the Affordable Care Act, which greatly lowered the number of uninsured Americans and expanded access, uh, affordability to lots of people. So a decade later, why is COVID-19 exposing these kinds of inefficiencies uh, and and drawbacks in a system that supposedly we were on our way to fixing. Well, you know the the Affordable Care Act uh, provided access to health care for tens of millions of people who who didn't have it. But what what you tend to see with any major federal legislation is you'll get 
passage of a bill, which is a compromise, and then over time, you'll, you'll see that improved by additional legislation. Um, the Affordable Care Act, though, is different, and, and it doesn't have to be, but it was passed uh, by one party, uh, and the opportunity to continue to tweak and improve it just hasn't been there. There's been a big movement to try and repeal it, which would be disastrous, but there hasn't been a, uniform, a unified approach to trying to improve it. One of the things that the Affordable Care Act called for was expansion of, of Medicaid. And Medicaid provides health care for all kinds of people across America, lower income individuals, mm -hmm. uh, the elderly. If you look at nursing home care, uh, the majority of that is paid for by, by Medicaid, uh, care for people with disabilities. And there was an opportunity there for every state to expand Medicaid coverage with the federal government kicking up 90% of the, the, the cost of that. But to date, there's still 12 states that haven't expanded Medicaid. And what you see is uh, those tend to be states uh, with higher proportions of uh, uh, people of color. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what we're seeing is a disparate impact of this pandemic in those states in terms of care that people have access to. So, you know, the, the, the Affordable Care Act was, was a start. It, it improved coverage for many. It didn't do a lot to address costs. And that's something that has to happen in, in future le legislation going forward. Mm -hmm. um, we should, as a nation, be able to ensure that we have universal health care. And there are many ways to get there and different political approaches to getting there. But if we can agree as a society that everyone should have access to health care. No one should have to have to sit at home and think, wow, you know, I think something's going on, but I don't think I have the, the money to be able to afford accessing the health care system. That's just that's just not the kind of society we should have. Hmm. Uh, one of the things you point out is that our current employer based health system is inherently flawed. Uh, Talk about why you feel like that is one of the big problems that we've got. Yeah, you know, the, the employer-based system uh, is, is really a, a fluke of history. Uh, back following World War II, when there were limitations on, on what businesses were allowed to do in terms of increasing wages, they started increasing benefits to attract workers. And one of the things that was provided was, was health insurance. And that system has kind of stuck. But it's, it's, it's really unique if you look around the globe in terms of how health insurance is provided. We're the only country that, that ties it to your job. And there, there are problems with that. There's problems because, you know, it reduces people's ability to move from job to job because of concerns about uh, health insurance coverage. There are problems with that because what you see are lower income employees more likely to work in, uh, in jobs that don't provide health insurance mm -hmm. or provide inadequate health insurance. So while 28 million people are uninsured, there are tens of millions more who are underinsured, who may only have what's called catastrophic coverage, so that if a major life event happens, they're in a major trauma or they have cancer, they'll, they'll be covered for the, for the largest part of their hospital bill, but they, won't, they don't have coverage to see their doctor when they're not feeling well, uh, to see their doctor if they have a mental health issue. Uh, you know, and one of the things this COVID crisis is 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 displaying is the incredible toll in terms of mental health of, of this crisis. Forty uh, percent of people experiencing issues of mental health, whether it's depression or anxiety or feelings of isolation. 
and not having the ability to to seek care from a professional uh, is is really devastating at a, at a time like this. Mm. So uh, there are lots of ideas out there right now about what the next step might be. I want to get your assessment of of one of the big ones. In the Democratic primary for the presidential contest this year, we heard a lot of debate about this idea of Medicare for all. And there were a couple of candidates who said that that was the solution to uh, the underinsured and the expense of insurance in this in this country. Uh, what do you think about that approach? Would that solve our problems? Yeah, you know, as a as a philanthropy, we we don't take sides on particular policies, mm-hmm. but but what is clear is that there are many roads to getting to universal care, uh, universal coverage, and if we can agree as a nation that universal coverage is something we want to have. Mm-hmm. Then it's working out the details and looking and say, okay, what ways do we want to get there? Do we want to get there with a combination of private and public insurance? Do we want to get there with a fully public system? Do we want to get there with, with systems where, where you maintain some employer-based and have some other options? You can get there in a lot of different ways. Uh, but first, you just have to have an honest conversation. Do we believe in America that someone's income should determine whether or not they have access to health care, or do we view access to health care as a fundamental right? And if we agree that it's a fundamental right, that no one should have to do, think about whether or not uh, they, they seek care uh, because of the cost that's involved, um, then we can get there. We can get there as a nation, and, and that would be a, a really exciting thing for for us to see coming out of a, a, a health crisis like the COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what you make of the political climate then in Congress, for instance, and and more generally in the culture. Like I said, 10 years ago, we had a pretty robust debate. It was bitter at times, came up with a set of reforms. Is there the appetite right now for another debate that moves us either even further ahead, or do you think that the political climate is itself one of the things that's in the way? Well, I, I think right now, uh, especially leading up to a national election, um, it's not possible to have that conversation. Uh, hopefully, following an election, uh, we're able to to look across party lines and reach some some uh, understanding of what may need to take place. Mm-hmm. There's also room for, for work at the state level. Uh, and what, what we find at the, at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation is that there's a lot of innovation going on at, state, uh, at the state level that can be shared and that can uh, lead to improvements state by state. Um, I hope we're able to find a way to come together as a nation. If, if, if we can't, uh, our, our, uh, response to this pandemic will never be what it should be. Mm. And we're going to continue to see uh, deaths from COVID uh, that could have been prevented. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I ran emergency preparedness and response at CDC for, for four years, uh, in, including leading at the start of the, the swine flu pandemic, the H1N1 pandemic in mm-hmm. 2009. And one of the, the core principles in responding to a public health crisis is you want to do everything you can to keep politics out of it, to keep 
uh, you know, Congress unified that the enemy is the is the virus, is the disease, is the the public health threat, and that early on here uh, we were seeing a lot of that. We saw Congress come together and pass uh, incredible legislation that provided support to to people in communities, uh, but then it's become more politicized than any response in in our lifetime, where w- someone's desire or willingness to do a simple thing like wear a mask uh, has become a a political statement. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we can't allow that to continue going forward. We have to come together as a nation and say that there are fundamental things we can do from a public health perspective, wearing masks, social distancing, hand washing, that will help protect ourselves and protect those around us. And that as a nation, we have a responsibility to do all we can to help protect not just our own health, but those of, of people in our communities. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, it's 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 tempting, I guess, to think of the pandemic as an opportunity to change people's attitudes about this, to startle them enough that they believe that we have to have change. But you just brought up the H1N1 flu, uh, which was nowhere near as as deadly as COVID has been, that didn't inspire massive change. I, I wonder what you think the opportunity here is or why it might be different to get people to be a little more open to the idea that we can do better and to be motivated to put pressure on the political infrastructure to, to make that change. Is COVID the game changer, I guess, is, is the question. I hope COVID is a game changer. There's no comparison between H1N1 in 2009 and, and, and COVID. We dodged a bullet in 2009 because that pandemic wasn't severe. We weren't asking people to shelter at home. We weren't asking people to do the things that are required right now. Uh, we were lucky. The next flu pandemic, we may not be so lucky. Uh, but what this pandemic has revealed is that your income and the color of your skin are predictors of how well you're doing in a public health crisis. And we need to change that. And that means addressing policies around health insurance so that everyone has coverage. It means ensuring everyone has unemployment insurance, has sick leave, has family medical leave. You know, we're one of the wealthiest nations in the world. And we're one of the only ones that doesn't ensure that when you're sick, you can stay home and you won't lose your job. And when you're uh, when you're unemployed, you're getting resources. In America, that's not the way it is right now. And we're seeing that play out uh, in, in, in cruel ways. Uh, Black and Latino and Native American uh, individuals are getting hit so much harder because they're more likely to be essential workers, meaning they're out and they're more likely to get exposed. They're less likely to have jobs that provide that safety net of unemployment insurance or sick leave. They're more likely to be working multiple jobs at at, uh, minimum wage. And we know that in America, a minimum wage is not a living wage. Mm -hmm. We we need to take this COVID pandemic and really do some soul searching and say, what kind of nation do we do we want to do we want to be? There are millions of people in America who who are facing eviction uh, or if their evictions on hold, as soon as those those moratoriums on evictions and mortgage foreclosures go away, they're going to face a cliff of having to pay six, seven, eight or more months of, of rent or, or mortgage payments, and they're going to be out on the street. 
do we want to put people out on the street during a pandemic? Mm. It, it just, you know, it says something about us as a, as a society, what we do to ensure that everyone's needs are met. And right now what it's saying uh, is that we're a society that just doesn't care. Mm. Okay, Richard Besser, president and CEO of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and former acting director of the CDC, where he worked for 13 years. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thank you very much for coming by. Thanks so much, Stephen. It's a real pleasure. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more Detroit Today. Today.